Good morning, Frontline Church. Good morning, family. It's really a privilege to be online with you today on such a special occasion. Whether you're watching from your TVs or your cell phones or even from your laptops today, we are going to do church together. And together with hundreds of millions of Christians around the world today, we are going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, our King, Jesus Christ. Today is Easter Sunday, church. And if there was ever an event or moment on which our faith rests upon, it is the resurrection. Church, He is risen. The grave is empty. And because of Him, we have a hope and a future. And that's why we are gathering in our homes all around the world in all different time zones, because we believe in the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is alive. And because of that, we are saved even in our transgressions. This has to be the most significant moment in all of history. And church, before we get into the word this morning, would you pray with me? Just welcome the Holy Spirit into your, your room, wherever you're watching this right now. And let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you today on this most significant day in the mighty and glorious and wonderful name of Jesus. Father, in this time that we come together as your church, let us be awakened to a greater truth of what the resurrection means for our lives, past, present and future. Let us comprehend, Lord, even in part, the price that Jesus paid for our salvation and how we can never be the same again because of that sacrifice. Father God, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts this morning for sending your Son to die on a cross for our sins. We want to thank you that you loved us so much that heaven would be bankrupted for even just one of us lost sheep. So come and have your way in us today. Come and transform us for your glory. And Father, I pray that whatever comes from our lips today will bring you the honor that you deserve. And everyone out there said, Amen and Amen. So church, on this very significant day, it's, you know, as a preacher, you realize that it's probably one of the messages that for people that don't regularly attend church will want to listen to. A lot of people will be listening to this online service today and to messages all over the world and some will only be doing so because it would be the custom to go to church on Easter and then perhaps again on Christmas. So in some small way, as a preacher, you feel a bit of pressure to hit this particular message out the park. Because there may be people listening to this today that may not listen to another message again until Christmas. But in my preparation this week, as the Lord always does, He brought a bit of perspective. And it dawned on me, church, that even if I bring the best message that I've ever preached before... There will still be some people that will listen to it. They will still hear it, but it won't change their daily lives. The resurrection doesn't affect how they do life. It's just an Easter thing. People go to church or, or watch a sermon, listen to a few songs, have a big Sunday lunch, have a few Easter eggs. But in reality, the resurrection means nothing to them. But then there are some people where it's the exact opposite. Where the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually affects every decision that they make in life. And it's based on this one fact. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's it. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead and it changes everything about their lives. And so I suppose my question to you today is, where are you in relation to the revelation of the resurrection? I know that sounds like a bit of a tongue twister, but think about this. Where are you in relation to the revelation of the resurrection? Does it affect every decision that you make in life? Or would you say that it doesn't really affect anything? 
And I'm not saying do you just believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I'm saying, does it change the way you think, the way you speak and behave? Because if I believe this, if I really believe that Jesus rose from the grave, it should change everything in my life. It should impact every, every area. And it should resurrect every single part of my life. You know, church, before the Apostle Paul believed in the resurrection, he lived what you might call a very normal and comfortable life. Life was going well for him. He had a prestigious position in society and was a respected Jewish leader. And in fact, he was a Pharisee out persecuting the Christians. When the church was just beginning, he was there. He was a very powerful, prominent and well-established man. And then he started believing in the resurrection of Jesus. And it changed every single thing about him. It affected him so much that his name was even changed from Saul to Paul. It changed his life completely to the point where he went from persecuting Christians to becoming the most persecuted Christian probably of all time. And he went from hating the notion of a risen Christ and hating Christians to becoming probably the greatest Christian and advocate for the resurrection. And after living a life dedicated to proving the resurrection and living this, this bold life as a Christian, he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what you need to know about 1 Corinthians 15 is that it is dedicated to the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, the resurrected body and the day of resurrection. But he says this specifically in verse 19. He says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The message translation says, If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we are a pretty sorry lot. And what he's basically saying is, Church, do you, you really think that I would have gone through all that I've gone through? All the sacrifice and all the pain and humiliation? If there's no life after death? If there's no life after this one, I have to be the dumbest person alive. He says, if I'm wrong, I've just wasted my whole life. Paul says this later on in verse 32. He says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And I suppose that's a, a good way to live if there's no life after death. If everything is just about what you see and gain on earth, then the best thing for you to do is just to go out and enjoy yourself. You know, have a joy. Have the greatest amount of pleasure possible. Why worry about hurting other people? Why worry about anything? Just enjoy yourself because you're just going to die. And this life is all meaningless anyway. But Paul says, because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, because I believe that Jesus rose again, that means I'm going to rise from the grave. And because of that, my life is completely and radically different. Because I know how the story ends. Church, how many of you out there have watched the movie Breakthrough? It's one of the more recent Christian movies uh, where a young man falls through an iced up lake. And how the family and the community and the church comes together to pray for his life. I mean, his life is hanging in the balance. And if you've seen the movie, you will agree with me when I say that it is an intense movie, right? I mean, the whole way through, you're sitting on the edge of your seat wondering if he's, he's going to pull through. And I don't want to spoil it for you. 
Maybe you haven't seen the movie before, but he makes it in the end. And the point I'm trying to make here, church, is that if you had to watch that movie again for the second time, it would still be quite intense. But you would be able to back off a little and relax because you knew that he didn't die after all. You knew how the story ends, right? It's like watching a series on Netflix. If you're in season four of that series and there's a threat of the main character dying off in season four, you can just back off and relax because you know that he's still alive in season six or season seven. And church, that may be a bit of a silly example, but that's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ should do for us. When life happens and we have to face the intensity of life and all of its challenges and go through uncertain times like we're facing right now where the future looks so dark and there's even a threat of losing life, we can take a step back and relax because we don't die in the end. No matter what happens in this life, however intense it's going to be, I'm going to be in heaven with God forever. For season five, six, seven billion trillion and then forevermore. Whatever happens, you and I can just step back and say, I know how this, this thing ends. And I know how it's going to be forever and forever. And church, suddenly this life just has this whole different perspective to it. You see, church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes the way that you view everything on this earth. In fact, Paul talks about our bodies here on earth as well. He says in verse 36 and 37 of the same chapter, he compares our lives, our bodies, to a seed. He says, How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. And what he's saying is, when you have a seed, what do you want that seed to do? You want to put that seed into the ground and you want that seed to die so that something else can spring up. The true life, the true plant, the true fruit. And he says in the same way, when you die, you want your body to do, go into the ground and to just disintegrate. Because it's going to rise up into something else. And church, when you start to have the knowledge that there's life after death and that's the real life, it's like... Well, suddenly I look at my life, I look at my body, right? And I say, I'm actually just a seed. And the body doesn't really even matter in the long run. It's my spirit that really matters. Look at what it says in verses 42 to 44. It says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. As amazing as your humanly body is and how God has created you, your body is perishable. It's like a seed that you're going to put into the ground, it's going to die, and then something else is going to spring up. And that's the real life. That's what the resurrection does. It gives us hope and love for everything that is going to die in the natural. Now church, I want to tell you, when you start to look at life at that way, in this way, it impacts everything from the big decisions in life to the small decisions in life. Because you see, we know how it all ends. We know how the story ends. In verse 55 to, to 50 to 55 of the same chapter, 
This is what it says. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to praise the name of Jesus right there. Because you see, death would have had a sting. It would have been a scary thing for us if we died and knew that God was going to punish us for everything we did wrong. But that's what Jesus was dying on the cross for. He paid for my penalty, he paid for your penalty. And he knew that my perishable nature would keep me separated from him for eternity. So he made a way. And church, even though we never deserved it, even if it was just for you and just for me, he still would have died and suffered a death so horrible, so severe, so unimaginable that we could not even be able to comprehend it. And you see, church, having, having said what I've said, this is not just something that we sing about once a year, or we go to church once a year for, or eat a few Easter eggs in celebration. It's about something that affects every single thing in your life. It should impact all of our decisions. And it should bring so much life and joy and security and peace to know how the story ends. And yes, there'll be some tough seasons here on earth. Maybe the season that we're going through right now is the toughest yet. But we'll get through it. Because we know who the author of the story is. And we know that his written word never fails. Amen? And so I want to ask you again. Where are you in relation to the revelation of the resurrection? Because it really is my heart that for everyone hearing this message today, that you will take hold of this truth and, and live a resurrected life. And for those of you who are listening to this and don't really believe in God, and you have all these arguments against Christianity, I could be tempted to argue with you and debate the facts of the Bible. I could tell you about all the prophecies that, that confirm the coming of Jesus. I could point the wonders of creation just to testify to the, to the living God. I could try and prove this gospel to you. But it's interesting, you know, because when Jesus spoke, when Jesus was on this earth, he used a phrase in scripture that no one else ever used. He'd use the phrase after he'd give a message, he would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. A very important phrase because he would give a sermon and then he wouldn't try and argue with anyone or try and prove his point. He says, if you've got ears to hear, you'll hear it. If you don't, you won't. He'd even speak in parables because if people really wanted to understand, they'd figured it out. He didn't argue with them or, or try and explain everything. You know, I guess it's our nature to try and argue. Because people will say, well, I don't believe in Jesus because how can a loving God allow innocent people to die? You know, maybe you've thought that before. 
But I want to ask you, if that's your argument, if that's really how you feel, I want to ask you a question. If I can prove to you that it's not God's heart that any man should perish, then will you believe in Jesus? No, probably not. Because you'll move on to the Gospel of Judas that you heard about on National Geographic. But how about if I explain that away as well, then will you believe in Jesus? No, you'll find something else. Maybe you'll say it's because of the church is full of all these hypocrites, you know. Okay, so if we got rid of all the hypocrites in the church and you were there all by yourself, then will you believe? You see, Jesus' point was, I'm not going to argue everything on this earth. And even if I was to prove and expose every false teaching on the earth right now, that would take a bit of time, but you see a new one's going to rise up every hour. And the real issue here is this. For some of you listening here today, the real issue is that you just don't want to believe. And so no matter what argument is thrown your way, you're going to try in some way to twist it and turn it and say no to it. And you'll bring something else. What about this factor? What about this inconsistency in Scripture? And Jesus didn't spend time arguing with people. He said, he just said, here's the truth. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you don't want to believe in God, you won't regardless of how the, the gospel is presented to you. Because you see, it's a hard condition. And so I guess my job is just to, to lay out the truth. That's what the Apostle Paul did in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm going to read exactly in, from verses 3 to 8 how he laid it out. He said, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul says, that's what happened. Listen, He just laid out the truth. And He said, Christ died for your sins. Which means you've done some things that deserve punishment. You've done some things in your life that deserve the wrath of God. And even though you should be punished for those things, Christ died for you. Christ took that punishment on the cross just for you. You know, some people will tell you, you don't have to worry. You're a good person. You're an inherently good person. In fact, we're just really all good people by nature. We're just generally good. Yes, there's a few evil people out there like, like Hitler and those involved in terrorist organizations, but for the most of us, I think that we are pretty decent people. I think I'm a good enough person to, to make it into heaven. The thing is, are you willing to risk heaven or hell on I think so? And if I were to ask you, where are you on the scale of good and evil? Let's just say this is good. And this is evil. This is heaven and hell. Where would you place yourself? Based on your works, where would you put yourself? Would you put yourself closer to heaven? Where would you put Hitler? Closer to hell? Where would you put someone like Billy Graham or, or Mother Teresa or C.S. Lewis? Would you put them this side? And you see, church, no matter where you put yourself and everyone else, the Bible says that without the resurrection, we're all here on the side of evil. 
all in the sight of hell. Because the Bible says that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us is righteous, not even one. And that's why Paul says, look, I'm just passing on what I heard and what I saw. That Christ died for you. He died for all the people's sins. From the best of people to the worst of people. He died for all of them. That's what nailed him to the cross. And the Bible says, if you will just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you'll be standing right here on the side of heaven. Not because of your works, because Jesus switched places with you at the cross. You see, he who knew no sin became sin, that we in turn could take his place and become the ultimate good and become children of God. What a beautiful exchange. And I'm not going to try and convince you today of this great exchange. I'm just going to tell you the way that it is. That you're a sinner. And Christ did die for you. And if you choose to believe that, you have an opportunity to have eternal life. And I want you to consider that seriously today. And before I finish up with the sermon today, there is something that I want you to see in Mark chapter 16. It's really interesting. It talks about the resurrection of Jesus, how the woman came to the tomb and didn't find Jesus there. The stone was rolled away, so they were, they were pretty concerned. And look at what the angels say to them or says to them in, in verses 6 and 7. Don't be afraid, alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And when you look at this passage, you may ask, why is he singling out Peter? What's so special about Peter? And if you remember the story just a few chapters before that, Peter is just telling Jesus how much he loves him. He's confessing to Jesus the love that he has for him. But Jesus says, you know what, Peter? You're going to end up denying me. And Peter says, look, Lord, I will never deny knowing you. I'll even die with you. And as the scriptures tell us, Jesus gets arrested and they start torturing him. And someone comes to Peter and asks him, aren't you one of his guys? Aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter denies emphatically that he ever knew Jesus and that he was with him. And this happened three times. And when the rooster crows the third time, one of the gospels says that at that moment, Jesus looks, turns and looks straight at Peter. And Peter just runs off and starts crying. Can you just imagine how disappointed Peter was in himself? He just betrayed the Son of Man. And then Christ rose from the dead and says, go get the disciples and Peter. Even though he messed up his life, even though he betrayed me in my darkest hour, go tell Peter I still want him. Tell the disciples, but especially Peter. And you know, this really touches my heart because so many of us are like Peter. You know, where we've messed up in life. We've been given so many opportunities by God to walk with him, but when life happens, when peer pressure comes, when persecution comes, we walk away and deny him. Or you know, when you've told God, God, I will follow you. 
I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to walk away from my sin. And then you did the exact opposite. And because of that shame, you feel like you are so separated from the love of God. And you're not even sure if you believe anymore. And I just love the fact that the resurrected Christ is saying to you today, yes, tell everyone that I've defeated the grave. Yes, tell everyone that I've risen. But I especially want you to know. Because even after what you've done, I'm still coming after you. Even though you betrayed me and you walked away from me, I still have a hope and a future for you. You see, church, that's the story of the resurrection. It's the promise of a resurrected life, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter where you find yourself right now. Because even though Peter thought that he had completely blown his life, Jesus uses Peter to change the world. And to think you and I can, can be a small part of that. Church, Jesus is saying to each of us listening to this today, I know what you've done. He knows everything about your past. He says, I know what you've done, but I'm telling you today, I still want you. And the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he'll come into you and he'll change your life. And he'll help you become the person that you want to become. The person that God wants you to be. And even if you feel like you've completely destroyed your life, Jesus is saying, I died just for you. I still want you. Let's change the world together, one person at a time. That's it, church. That's the revelation of the resurrection. That's the truth that I wanted to lay out to you this morning. And I'm really trusting and hoping that the truth of the resurrection would have changed something inside of you today. That there would have been a connection between your heart and your intellect. And in a moment, I want to ask you to pray with me. If you feel like you've lost your way, if you feel like you've fallen away from God, even if you never really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to commit your life to the Savior that loves you so much that He died the most gruesome death on a cross for you. And if you would just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, He will change you for this life and the life you're after. Would you pray with me? Father God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I have messed up. I have tried to live my life without you for too long. I am in need of a savior. I believe that you died on the cross of Calvary just for me. I believe that you died to pay the price of all my shortcomings and my mistakes. I pray that you would forgive me of every sin known and unknown to me. Would you wash me clean? Thank you that I have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Father God, I acknowledge today that I am a sinner. I have messed up. I have tried to live my life without you for far too long. I am in need of a Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for me at Calvary. I believe that you died to pay the price for all my shortcomings and mistakes. I pray that you would forgive me of every sin known and unknown. Would you wash me clean? Thank you that I've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You not only died for me, Lord, but you also rose from the dead as a champion. And because you live, I can face tomorrow. I have the promise of life with you. Would you be my Lord and King? Would you take control? 
And from today, I declare that my life belongs to you. And I want to say this morning that I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. I am now your son. I am now your daughter. And I am privileged to call you my father. I open my heart to receive your love and all that you have for me. I receive the Holy Spirit of God to lead me, guide me, and teach me all the days of my life. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, church, it's been so good to be with you online this morning. We look forward to reconnecting again with you very soon. Please go onto all our different social media platforms. Go and comment. Go and share. Please tell us how you're doing. Let us know if you need prayer or if you just need someone to talk to you. And we'll be getting in contact with you. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Have a blessed day further. And just remember, we miss you and we love you.